Welcome to the ABOP podcast. ABOP is the Alliance of Black Orchestral Percussionists, a nonprofit organization that focuses on mentoring future generations of Black percussionists. My name is Raynor Carroll. I'm an ABOP founder. Thank you for joining us. This is the first of several podcasts that feature our ABOP protégés, Torrance Bunton Jr., Jacqueline Bryant, and London Johnson. In addition to our protégés, we have a special guest, Andrea Stein. Andrea is a regular participant in ABOP's quarterly Zoom exchanges. I will now step back and let everyone introduce themselves. Hi, uh, I'm Torrance Button Jr. I am based in Dallas, Texas, but I'm originally from Jackson, Tennessee, and I am a second year master's student in percussion performance at Southern Methodist University. I'm London Johnson. I'm uh, 16 years old. I'm currently based in uh, Burbank, California, but I'm originally from Canton, Mississippi. And I currently go to Burbank High School and I'm part of their music association. And basically, that's it. Hey, I'm Jacqueline. I'm doing my second year of my bachelor's in percussion performance at Valdosta State University in Valdosta, Georgia. I play in one ensemble orchestra. You know, I kind of do you know, the usual, and yeah. I'm Andrea Stain. I'm originally from Fresno, California, and I currently reside in Orange County, California. I graduated from Chapman University in 2019 with a Bachelor in Percussion Performance, and I currently teach, work in finance, and freelance with a couple of artists as their drummer. Nice. So today, this podcast is exclusively for the ABOP protégés, and we also invited Andrea Stain to come and just have a conversation with us about being a Black percussionist in the orchestral, classical music realm of things. And I'm, I'm super delighted to be here with everyone, and I hope that we have a really engaging conversation. So the first thing I, I actually want to start off with is I want us to talk about how we got started in percussion. Let's go from youngest to oldest, so London can go first. <laughs> so back when I was in Mississippi, uh, before I moved to uh, Burbank, when I went to, you know how it goes, you go to middle school and they have like a whole bunch of instruments everywhere. And I guess they kind of like let you audit whichever one you see most interested interested in. You know, I was actually really close to being a trumpet player. <laughs> I was really close. But um. Uh, when I went to like the percussion area, the teacher actually seemed to take me very seriously and like in all honesty commended me for the fact that I caught on, seemed to catch on quickly. I had a sort of natural, I guess you could say talent for it. Whereas with attitude, maybe. At, yes, that's a better way to describe it. It compared to all the brass and winds. So I guess in that sense, I felt like maybe that was where I was needed. And yeah, it just went on from there. In the beginning, I saw music as more of a competitive thing too. Cause when we were in like a beginning band, all that stuff, in a way it was kind of, the teacher kind of had it in a more competitive setting as a way to get us, I feel it was to get us like more motivated to, you know, you know practice, to try hard and do all this stuff. And it definitely motivated me because I was doing all those scale grades and, you know, rudiments. I was on top of that stuff, but it was basically like that. And then I didn't really start taking it more seriously in terms of like 
oh, this could be, this is possibly what I could want to do with my life until I moved to Burbank to pursue, I guess, a career in um, arts. In California, there's so many different opportunities for artists and as a musician that would, you know, that would come to benefit me, uh, as you can see right now, where I am <laughs> speaking with, you know, all these amazing Black percussionists. Because when I moved here, I started to see music. I started to see it for everything that was. It wasn't just, you know, marching band or a jazz or just orchestral percussion. It was like, it was all of it combined. It's a very holistic thing. And when I um got into high school, I really started taking my role as like, I guess, a section leader as a percussionist very seriously. And I just got motivated to do better because they were, because at Burbank, there were like a whole bunch of like volunteer teachers that were like volunteers that came and they just constantly motivated me to do better. Other peers of mine that just motivated me to do better because I saw where they were going and where I was and where I wanted to be. And it was just constant motivation. And obviously I'm a, I'm a junior, so I'm still working on that, but, um, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at right now. And I'm excited to see what happens for me in the future. That is super exciting, especially uh, as a junior and you're doing all these things. I mean, that's that's amazing. Um, you still have a long, <laughs> long, long road ahead of it. <laughs> so yeah. just, just keep going, just keep going because the sky's the limit. That's what I told myself uh, when I was that young. And it, it really is. It never stops. Um, mm -hmm. to okay, I started, you know, just like everybody else in sixth grade, you know, just kind of doing, I was running track at the time too. So I was kind of just like, you know, I'm just kind of living life doing, you know, sixth grade things. And then like toward the end of my seventh grade year, my high school band director, Mr. Darren Johnson, he went over to the middle school. He was talking about, hey, I want to start giving drum lessons to some of the younger musicians to, you know, kind of strengthen up the percussion section. And I was thinking, you know, well, let me try it. And so I went over and I um I played some rudiments. My older brother was in band, so I kind of knew, kind of knew of him, kind of knew how he kind of operated. And we played, you know, played through some rudiments. He was like, you know, you just play like maybe 12, 15 rudiments, you know, you should keep it up. So we we kept, you know, playing and kept playing and lesson after lesson. I ended up playing with the high school band a year early, which was so much fun and a great experience. You know, he kind of just took me under his wing with that. So I just wanted to be just like him. I wanted to be a band director. And then, you know, I just kept going, kept going. And, you know, I just wanted to be this really good, great band director doing all the right things. But I ended up running into a person, you know, Dr. Don Parker, which all of us know, I'm pretty sure. And it's kind of funny because, you know, my high school band director knew a lot of the African-American percussions like Professor Lane, Professor Burkhead. So I always kind of had a connection with those people, too. And it was like, well, you know, they're cool. They're great people. And I just never really, you know, fathom, you know, especially where I'm from. It's like, you don't really hear about, I want to play percussion for a career. I want to play an orchestra. So I ended up just kind of kept going. I made an all-state region band, all-state region band. And then I was like, oh, well, I guess I could do this. And then I you know, played here, there, and everywhere. So I said, well, what's the worst that could happen? But I, you know, I always wanted a music music education degree and want to get band director or maybe a wing conductor and collegiate level up until I got to college, my first year of college, actually. I didn't switch to performance until this school year, I think. Yeah, I think I was officially this school year, which was crazy. But 
I was a um I was a ed major for the longest, but you know, just after me with Mr. Carroll and him, you know, mentoring us and I was like, I play in the Valdosta Symphony as well. So it's I got the experience of listening to the orchestra and playing in the orchestra and the lifestyle of the orchestra. And I was like, well, that's this is fun. You know, I wouldn't imagine doing anything else with my life. And now I'm here. <laughs> Nice, nice. What? Wait, actually, what inspired you to start percussion? And you can you can answer this to London. We'll circle back to you. Funny story. I think I wanted to play tuba at first. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> My middle school band director, he was like, "Well, your brother played percussion. Do you want to play percussion?" And I was like, "Yeah, I guess so." <laughs> so it's kind of like a simple thing, but you know, that's just how I got into it. What inspired me to play uh, percussion? Like I said, I felt like the percussion director at our middle school. He seemed to take me more seriously compared to all the other than the other coaches at like the other instrument stations. I was really into like those HBCU bands, <laughs> uh, marching bands, and I was like, "Oh, I want to do all that." <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, oh, yeah. you know. That's that's I was like I want to be looking at that. Mm -hmm. Those happens. sparkly outfits in the, you yeah, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I, mean, I, oh, I, yeah. I grew up watching HBCU bands. That's mm -hmm. all I did. Because like, yeah. my, mm -hmm. my granddad was heavily into that stuff. So he used to bring me to like the Tennessee State football games. And we would go to mm -hmm. the Southern Hedges Classic every single year. So mm -hmm. like <laughs> that that definitely had an impact on me. Yeah. So, but that's basically yeah. what it was, yeah. Honestly, what I really want to want to do it as like a career, you know, I just found it to be less, I found it to be more fun, honestly, and just in general, compared to like all the other instruments. Oh, yeah. like... I think it's okay sometimes to not have like a great philosophical reason behind everything in some gorgeous philosophical raison d'etre. Like you can just be like, I really love doing this thing because it's fun and it makes me happy. Like that's yeah. It's exactly. boils down to just that. Uh, also, it doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> Especially if I had to lose all my breath just to play an instrument. I don't know. Is it really worth playing? But yeah. <laughs> okay. I have very similar backstories for y'all. Uh, I started in sixth grade. When I joined band, I just knew that I was going to be the drummer, like the percussionist in band because... Like I already mentioned, uh, like my granddad is also a drummer and percussionist, and I wanted to carry that legacy on because also my dad aunt, and uncle all played percussion sometime in their education. <laughs> so I was like, oh, well, I want to play too. Why not? And I grew up listening to a lot of gospel drummers because my granddad is a heavy gospel drummer and he had his own band when he was my age and all of that yeah so I started in sixth grade and I my band director was a great just music educator and I mean, she just knew how to teach every instrument so from there it was just like I popped off in like the seventh grade like no actually the sixth grade she actually let me join the seventh and eighth grade at best band and because I, all I did was practice I mean I practiced I like to practice because I didn't have anything else to do. So I'll just come home and be happy just to have my little, my bell kit and little snare drum and just practice. And I'll put the 15-minute timer on because she told us, she said, practice 15 minutes a day. So I just practice for 15 minutes a day, every day in sixth grade until like really seventh and eighth grade. I just stopped using the timer because I was just practicing more and more and more. Then I started doing like the honor band auditions 
and stuff when I got to eighth grade and she brought in a percussion lessons teacher to teach me. Like he was not like the official lesson teacher, but he was another band director from a different school who was also a percussionist. So she was good friends with him and he would come into uh, my class and give me a lesson like every week. And then I started making like the honor bands and then I made all state in high school and just really progressed from there. And I was like, oh, I'm actually enjoying this. Like, if you know me, I was heavily into band, like band geek, band nerd, all of that. Like <laughs> all I did was band. I did, I did no sports. It was just music, band, all of that. And then I did marching band, which was really fun. I, That was super fun. I really enjoyed that. Became percussion captain and all of that. Yeah. And then my junior year of high school, I joined the Youth Symphony Orchestra, which is a little small orchestra that a lot of people that I knew was in. And it was just a fun thing to do after school. Yeah. It wasn't really like a thing where oh, I'm going to be an orchestral player when I grow up. Like I knew that. Like, honestly, though, I didn't know that that was a job. <laughs> like, that I could actually do that in high school. I wanted to be a band director. Kind of similar to Jacqueline, like I was like, this seems like something I could do. Like I could teach and still have music in my life. Because I knew that music wasn't going to be gone for me. I knew that it was going to be a career and profession for me, but I didn't know what realm of music it was. So I just started off as music education because I feel like that was everybody, that's what everybody else was doing. And my band directors also had that influence and impact on me. So I was like, okay, music education. So I kind of have an untraditional educational journey because I went to an HBCU and you, you don't really see a lot of people going to HBCU that want to be like playing in orchestras for a living. So I went to an HBCU, Tennessee State University. I had a great time there. Actually, I started off studying with Dr. Daniels and then Dr. Green came in and I started studying with him for most of my college career. And he had a very, very big influence on my education. I mean, not even just the musical aspects, but just in life in general. So I really appreciate that. And it wasn't until 2020 pandemic, whenever I had my career change, because I instantly knew that I wanted to keep performing. Right. I, I just had this little thing where if I become a band director, I'm not going to have time to perform as much as I actually want to, or even practice my instrument because I have to practice the flute or clarinet. So I took the liberty. I was still, you know, I didn't change my measure, but I took the liberty of doing my own thing, like my own projects or whatever. So that same year, I made like a little recital video posted because no one was doing recitals like for live during this time. So I just made a little recital video, posted it on YouTube, kind of just did my own projects. I uh, reached out to different principal percussionists. I actually did taps online in 2020, which is like, I guess, my introduction to orchestral percussion as a career. So that since that summer, I have been on this path and journey. So 2020 to now, basically. And it's been very interesting. I, I could say I, I love orchestral music, but not only not only the musical aspects, but being able to hone into my art form in a such a unique way that I never have done before, even down to just practicing. It's just like, I go into the practice room and I am a little bit more diligent about how I'm using my time and a little bit more 
nitpicky with my sounds and exploring different things. So it's been very interesting in that way to where it, it just becomes enjoyable. It's like my snare drum sounds great now because I've been messing with the soundscapes of it since I got it six months ago or something like that. And I've been messing with the sound all the time and just kind of figuring out what you want to do and what type of sounds you want to make with your instrument is just something that I find enjoyable. So I started off really, really band heavy in my early education and then kind of made a switch to more orchestral playing in the middle of college. And my teacher, I told him that this is what I want to do. So he started learning excerpts. He started pushing me to practice more. I actually left the marching band so I can just practice more and did my grad school auditions, all that. So I can go on and on, but that's just a little short background story <laughs> for my, my little percussion journey so far. Well, I guess it's my turn. I actually did not originally start with percussion. My mom is an obstetrician and my dad is a banker, but my mom uh, writes and like records and has put out her own gospel music on the side. So I like grew up in a very musical household. She's the ninth of 10 children that are all musical in one form or another. And I think probably around the same time she started me and my older sister on piano lessons. My sister's four years older than me and I was six. And after a year, I looked my mom dead in the face and I was like, this is so boring. I am not doing this anymore. Like this cannot continue. Sometime a year after that, uh, the house that I grew up in, in Clovis had like surround sound speakers or whatever. And I re distinctly remember one time that I was like playing a song on surround sound and I was like in the hallway, like very seriously, like playing the drum parts, oh, you know, wow. yeah. like very seriously and like was like in the middle of a very important drum fill when she interrupted me to ask if I would want to take drum lessons, actually. And I personally was taken aback that she had the gall to interrupt me and my very important air drumming. And I said, <laughs> I looked at her, I stopped because I was like, I need to get back to this song. And I looked at her and I was like, yeah, sure, I guess. I was like eight. Well, obviously where we, considering where we are now, that response is literally hilarious, but it wasn't private drum lessons actually initially from the start. So in Fresno, there's this amazing woman, her name is Brenda Myers, and she is like a legend in terms of percussion education in the Central Valley. And so she runs this like year round percussion group called We Got the Beat. And then there's like older kids that do Beyond the Beat. And I remember seeing We Got the Beat. They would like come to my school and do these like recruiting concerts and stuff. And I was like, wow, look at all those kids playing Batman on the xylophone. That's crazy right now. And little did I know that when my mom was taking me to drum lessons, she was taking me to an eight week after school, we got the beat drum camp. She is the first person who taught me to play like pitch percussion because I learned how to play Batman on a little xylophone. But I remember sitting in that room, you guys, for weeks and watching the drum set and watching it and watching wow. it. And I did not have one, but you best believe when she taught the part, I went home and I had one of those, um, one of those like hexagon, big like shaped drum pads that would had, it didn't have like the synthetic drum head, but it just sounded like rubber, you know, like the little oh, yeah. ones, the quiet ones. Yeah. I had one of those and I had a proper snare drum stand and I would sit in a chair in our living room with it on a stand in front of me. And I would like air drum and like pretend that I was wow. drumming on the drum kit. Like I was ready. I was like, I will be damned if I am not ready for this day when my time comes. And the day came and I sat on that drum set 
And the first time in my life that I counted one, two, three, four while clicking drumsticks together, I was like, I never want to not be able to do this again. It was like an instant, like, whoa. Mm -hmm. Somewhere probably within like two years of that, I think after I turned 10 or something like that, like I got a, a used drum kit. It is still the drum kit that my parents keep safe for me in Fresno. I'm 90% sure that it's older than me because we got it used. Anyway, we get to the year when I'm finally allowed to join band. A fifth grade band is not that satisfying. You know, you're playing hot cross buns out of tune or or oogie boogie or whatever. And, and your two options, maybe three in fifth and sixth grade concert band are snare drum or snare drum pad, depending, you know, a much too large concert bass drum and a singular xylophone. Seventh grade came and I went to school in a district where marching band is life. It's marching band and football. I was very serious about drumline also in middle school. I was like, I grew up down the street from the stadium where DCI happens every June. My parents laughed in my face the year that I asked them for marching tenors for Christmas. They were like, please, <laughs> be realistic. <laughs> Just get it together. Um, seventh grade, actually, I was timpani in front ensemble. And then I didn't like the pit director. And so I was like, I'm going to join the battery. And then he decided that he wanted to coach battery the next year. And I was like, this man following me, but <laughs> I got through it. And I joined the tenor line that year. And then in ninth grade, so I would normally would have gone to this like big high school that my middle school fed into. And I feel like I briefly talked about this on previous ABOT calls, but the area of Fresno County that I grew up in was extremely white whitewashed and racist. And, you know, I got called hard R on a regular basis. It was, wow. you know, wow. yeah. Um, blatant. Like, wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Sometimes it was by people who like, they would say it when, and you know, th I, there wasn't a large black population. So usually if somebody said it, when they were walking past me at a crowd, it was clear that they were talking to me because I was usually one of the only black people in their near vicinity. <laughs> So sometimes would people like people be doing it sneakily because I'm passing by them in a large crowd, but this would happen at school, like, because I just went to a really big school. So like people, yeah, you're like, you're like passing in a crowd and you hear somebody say that with a hard R and you know, they're talking to you and you look around and they're gone. Cause there's like 500 kids passing through the area at the time. That's crazy. Cause when you think about like California, you don't really think that yeah. like, that's that in your face. I mean, like in the South, I mean, that happens, but <laughs> it's worse in both places. I grew up in a sun downtown. Yeah. Which I didn't know until I was older that it was considered one at any point. But and when I found that out, I was like, it makes sense. And a lot of people actually don't know, too, that Anaheim, the city um, where Disneyland is, also used where to Disneyland be. Disneyland is, right. Yeah. Anaheim also used to be a sun downtown. Big time. <laughs> Jeez. Yes, I know. I mean, and it's not that Southern California is in, especially in comparison to other places like and where I grew up, like fairly, mm -hmm. you know, liberal and progressive and stuff. But like, I tell you, living living in Orange County in 2016 was heinous, heinous, to say the oh. least. Um, yeah, I instead of going to that very big high school, though, which my sister went to and she definitely went to high school with skinheads and stuff like that. So I guess I can I can say I'm cool off that. You know, I went to a college prep performing arts high school on Fresno State's campus called University High School, 
And so I took like some college classes, many like AP courses, a very intense, rigorous curriculum. The thing that was interesting about being Black at that school, because it should be noted that I grew up in the time of the internet where making fun of Black women was a sport. So also just like your constant existence being made fun of. But I also interestingly dealt a lot with being told that I was like the whitest Black person that somebody had ever met because I didn't fit this like caricature that was constantly online of Black black people. It was very very confusing if you can imagine that, like being, because also too, like I always tell people the confusion I had over my own Black pride was never because of my family. Like my parents are very proud to be Black and like my mom's father marched with Dr. King. Um, my mom started the gospel pl- choir that is currently still standing at Stanford University. Like any issues that I ever had with being black never came from inside the house. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> it was always like I walked outside and I was like, I feel very confused about how I'm supposed to feel about who I am. Yeah, no, I, I can actually affirm with you with that because I kind of had a similar thing. Like they'll call me Oreo. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh. Like, that's crazy to hear because you know you're thinking like I'm black like what do you mean you know like yes okay so my freshman year of high school I got elected to be freshman class secretary I was like woohoo yay and we were doing we were having like a freshman class like ASB meeting or whatever you know and we're talking about these events that we're gonna have we're doing and I have no idea I cannot stress this enough I have no idea how this came up but this girl who I will openly admit I already did not like her anyway feels the need to say into the room that I am like the whitest black person she's ever met. There was another black girl in the room too. And and she just literally was like, could have heard a pin drop in the room. And I think it was unintended comic relief because I didn't know what to say, but another boy in the room just kind of looked at her and he was like, what? I don't understand what you mean. She looks black to me. And I was like, I I just looked at him. I said, thank you, Jacob. All shapes and forms. Like, we're yeah. not a monolith. And it's absolutely mm-hmm. crazy for people to constantly try to pigeonhole probably like one of the most, if not the most diverse people on earth. It's absolutely nuts to me. UHS was something that prides itself on being like a very like, we're multicultural. Look at all the black and brown and Asian people that go mm-hmm. here. And all of them also happen to be the cream of the crop from their own schools. And there are all these smart minorities here and and also white people in it. But there were so many, there were plenty of things that happened where I was like, whiteness is still the default here. You know what I mean? Like 200% whiteness is still the default here. It should also be noted, I actually didn't think that I was gonna study percussion probably until my junior or senior year of high school. It's not that I, I didn't want to, but, and I will give my parents credit. They evolved greatly from this point, but my older sister is an artist, doctor and a banker, two artist children. Um, right. And- Yes. And my older sister actually initially was told, love you. You're not majoring in art. That's a pre-unemployment major. But it's kind of, I would say, in music in that they didn't know that there's so many avenues that you can take. And so, you know, she went to University of Pittsburgh and spent a semester studying poli-sci, hating it with everything in her, and also spent that semester looking up what it means to make a career for yourself as an artist and proving to my parents that art does not have to be a pre-unemployment major. Mm-hmm. He came home that semester or for winter break and showed my parents and they were like, yeah, anyway, so we get to me and I'm still thinking that we're on the art as a pre-unemployment major kick. I'm like, all right. I'm like, I'm going to double major in psychology and percussion because I care about the human mind and maybe I can be a music therapist. And then I was like, 
but I actually really like books and words. So I'm going to double major in English and percussion. And this is happening while my parents and I are touring colleges, by the way. I'm like, I'm going to mm -hmm. double major in this and percussion. I'm going to double major in this and percussion. And at some point, I think between college tours, we were talking and my parents looked at me and they were like, Andrea, do you by chance maybe want to just major in percussion? And I literally went, yes. Wow. Yes. That's cool. Yes, actually, yes. Senior year starts. My now, who is like the percussion teacher at my high school, he is like, okay, we're going to do a speed run of getting you ready for college auditions. I was like, yay. So I think starting the summer before my senior year, that is the first time that I held four mallets at the same time. So I learned four mallets all summer. And then I started putting in college applications and then I started having auditions. I actually only applied to three colleges. I got into all three schools I applied to. I went to Chapman and that's, that's where I applied to. And they gave me probably the, one of the bigger scholarships. I applied to Fresno state because that was my safety school. But even my percussion teacher was like, he said, Matt Darling is an amazing teacher, but I can honestly tell you right now that I think that you will peak out too early if you stick with Fresno state's program, you know? Mm -hmm. I auditioned actually for Long Beach State as well. And that's when Dave Gearhart was still running their percussion program. Mm -hmm. And it was really cool. But as somebody who was coming from a high school that had less than 500 students, Long Beach's campus was really intimidating. I was like, there's too many people here. I can't do this. This is too yeah. calling for me. I'm coming from Fresno. That's the reason why I wanted to stay in my state. I mean, going to like a like UT Knox, was University of Tennessee. Yeah. That campus, I was like, no, this is too much. I, I, I've always liked smaller, like intimate settings. And mm -hmm. and granted, like Tennessee State wasn't like that small, but it was small enough for me to walk back yeah. from like my dorm. Like the music building was literally next to my dorm. Like I could walk five minutes. I could speed walk to the conservatory at Chapman from my dorm in five or six minutes flat. I was running late to class. Mm -hmm. Again, people can right. thrive in places that are meant for them. And I want to be clear about that. But like, it was, yeah, for me, it was like that versus, because at the time I went to Chapman, I was one of three percussion majors that came in my year. And okay. there were a total of six percussion performance majors in the studio my freshman year at Chapman, including me all undergrad. So like it's an exclusively undergraduate performance program. So I just wanted to do that. So then, then there was the challenges with that journey. Chapman is, has a less than 2% black student population. And that was accurately reflected within the student population of the conservatory itself. There are approximately 300 students involved within the conservatory, both major and non-major. And at the time that I was there, six of them, including me were black. And I was the only one who was a percussionist. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize, I mean, I did. And I learned a lot from the person who taught me there, but I think I was just realizing like, I, I don't see posters of people that look like me. I'm not even hearing of like so many of the amazing people that we get to interact with through ABOP or even like the people that I found out with through discussions that the Percussive Arts Society has opened up after so many things were whack, cracked wide open in 2020. 
talking about in every industry and discussions about what it's like for black people to occupy any space and what it means to truly show up for us and make us feel safe. And so me and Dr. Terry at uh, Chapman, he and I have now that, you know, we've moved past the things that I have gone through and all that stuff, he and I have, we have a way better relationship. And I've also been able to have far more candid conversations with him. And one of the things that he said to me in the last few months was he was like, you know, these conversations that people are having more and more about like race and gender. And he's like, they're, he's like, they're not things that I've ever particularly thought about because I just want people to show up and play music. And I said, that is not inherently wrong, but it's honest that you've never had to, those are not things that you've never ever had to think about because they don't affect you. Like being a straight white man in the world we live in means that there are so many things that you do not have to think about or consider automatically because they just don't impact you. They're not things that you have to think about. And so when the, when I watched this PAS roundtable and actually Chapman percussionist, we had a follow-up Zoom call about it. One of the things I said was, I'm beefing because I did not know half of these people existed that were on this panel. It's good that we have posters of Neil Pert and of Chad Smith and, and of Travis Barker and of Lynn Vartan and of all these other amazing percussionists. Where am I? That's the issue with... A lot of things. I mean, whenever I was in high school, I didn't have anyone that looked like me that was doing percussion at such a high level until I got to ABOP, really. But like even before then, but this is actually the reason why I went to an HBCU. I went to Tennessee State's one ensemble concert in Memphis because I wanted to see what the one ensemble sounded like. And once I went there and I seen all those Black musicians playing beautiful music together in one setting. That was like, I need to be in this ensemble ASAP. Like that was, that was, cause that was the first time I seen like pretty much an all black ensemble play at that caliber level. I was just gonna say, and I think also, I think the reason that I hadn't initially considered going to be an HBCU aside from the fact that I personally wasn't ready to go out of state yet, mm-hmm. which, you know, there aren't any HBCUs in California. That's not really right. a thing, but was also because there was no one around me who had the resources to know about how to explore, you know, like, because I didn't grow up with any teachers around me that looked like that or, and I won't lie. Like, I, I think I said this on the Martin Luther King ABOP Zoom call we had, but like in Fresno too, it's very much like, okay, Martin Luther King marched for the Negroes and now we've had a black president. Racism is definitely over. Yes. I hope somebody in Fresno who wants to get sensitive listens to this and heard me say that seriously, because there needs to be a reckoning. Like it was very much like, you know, racism is over because these surface level and superfluous things that I'm talking about happen that do not actually point to meaningful change. I think that now that I've gotten older, I'm like, I did have a lot of people that believed in me. Parents being a huge one of them. Mm -hmm. I've had people who have pushed me, but I've also wondered in situations like I think about the amount of times too that I just couldn't explain to people like, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time because another black person got shot and I can't function properly. I couldn't say that to any of my professors. You know what I mean? And I honestly thank the heavens that I graduated by the time 2020 happened because like if I had still been in school during that time and I just want to say yeah if any of y'all were and or had like just shout out in general to the world for people who had to go through school and stuff through 2020 but especially 
black people and children who were going through that. Shout out to y'all because shout out to shout out to the high schoolers. Yeah. Folks that was in high school or middle school, like that was in grade school. Because if I was in high school and it was all bad. that stuff was happening, where would I, would, I don't know where I would have been. I just yeah. it, was I, it is I I remember Dr. Terry Lynn Carrington saying on that that amazing panel that PAS had, she was like, she founded the Department of Jazz and Gender Justice at Berkeley. She works with a lot of women, people of color, gender diverse folks who she is like actively teaching and participating in their musical career and growth. And I think like what, how life-saving, affirming, and how much more can you focus on what you're there to do when you know that the person who's there to mentor you is completely behind you and there to protect you from whatever out here might be trying to punch down. How much more are people able to thrive when they know they have that? Because I, I am here. I'm talking to you. And I feel loved and blessed at this point in my life. But how much more could I have thrived in situations if I had known that someone would look at my Black ass and tell me that they hear me, they see me, and even if they don't understand that they want to? Can we actually talk a little bit more about that? Since like yes. Hey, Bob. So, like, this is my recent issues <laughs> so okay i got to smu and of course i graduated i had just came from an hbcu so i knew that it was going to be a new environment for me in general but it was different i mean it's different i mean <laughs> culture shock type different very very shocks culturally like i think it was just like this one time i don't ever go to the football games but I walked outside and they were doing like a tailgate. And I walked outside and I felt very weird. Like I was not supposed to be here. <laughs> like, it's so it's so weird. Like, and this is like my first semester. So at my, my first semester, I wasn't like a protege yet. So I was like kind of just in this world alone, you know, just kind of figuring things navigating, out. Navigating, you're like... Navigating my, you know, life as, a, as an adult and in grad school, but also trying to navigate being a Black person at a predominantly white school. I mean, I had to go to counseling and yes. all of that just to, like, kind of, like, help me transition more. And I kind of had to find my own community outside of SMU, pretty much. Like Yeah, um, and... It's not that, like, obviously, I, again, we, I, I'm alive. I'm talking to you. I am a generally, like, well-adjusted and healthy person. But I remember also during that call, someone said, where are we? How many more of us are there that did not finish the uphill battle because they did not have the support that they needed and deserved? Because that's the, like, that's the thing, like, I stand here because so many people and believed in me and also because in so many situations I was capable of being stronger than I should have ever had to be. Mm -hmm. I know that is partially what this is for. We're, we're trying to set people up so that we don't have to claw and fight for a seat at the table, but so that the table is saving a seat for us. Exactly. exactly. I also want the battle to stop being uphill. Like I saw this tweet the other day that this, that described it perfectly. The plot has thickened enough. Mm-hmm. It can thin out a little. I want to watch 
future generations of Black people be able to spend their lives being soft and not having to fight about everything. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think it's dumb to want things to be easy. That's not insane to me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Where, where we leave this with like, ooh, let's like suffer and it's going to make you like, bro, why can't, why can't, why can we not want or why do we not deserve a world where people thrive and they don't have to work so hard to have that? We don't have to work so hard to have it. And we don't always have to have like the stigma in the back of our heads mm -hmm. every time we walk into a room. I got to break the stigma. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, Please. I, it's, it's, I mean, it's crazy to me. I, I feel like ABOP saved me. I'm generally saying that because when I got to SMU, I was so like mentally like, how am I going to get through grad school? You know, like it was just like kind of that bad. And, In the trenches. Uh, until you know, ABOC came along. I finally had like a an outlet, not only just like with black percussionists and a mentor, but like someone just to go and talk to. That simple, like someone to go to talk to who understands me and my background, and also get great lessons <laughs> and stuff like that. But like outside of that, it was just like, wow, I I, I know I can come to this person, like Rainer Douglas. I took a semester off from Chapman because at one point my mental health did one of these mm -hmm. really hard. Yeah. So my mental health took a very sharp downturn for many external circumstances that were affecting me personally. And that was the other thing too, though, was that I felt that in the environment I was in that everybody else was allowed to have a hard time. And because I had previously shown myself to be like a sponge who absorbs information and I'm like so excited to be there and learn everything that the second I became a person, I was like having a hard time and not performing or executing as well because of it, that I was being punished for it. And the constant assumption from one of my closest mentors was that I was just not trying hard enough or that I didn't approach percussion with like sincerity or seriousness. And somebody telling me that, that they doubt with how much seriousness I approached my degree was like a stab in the heart. I was like, yeah. what? What? It's like, because honestly, after like hearing y'all, I'm just like, here's the thing <laughs> about just like California in general, like the first 12 years of my life was just in Mississippi. You know, they're all, I'm literally surrounded like 24 seven by people that look like me. When I moved to Burbank, specifically Burbank, like Andrea mentioned earlier. Large portions of, of Southern California. Uh, yeah. Significant. Yeah. It, it, uh, Cause like Burbank was a sundown town too. And I found that out like a couple years after I moved here. And like I said, it's a big culture shock because when I first moved here, I was in seventh grade. It was so odd not seeing a single Black person at my school other than like one. There was one other Black kid at our school and she moved like the year after. And it was just like crazy. I, honestly, the only real escape that I had was just like going to the band room every day and practicing. Did you get regularly get asked if you were related to the only other black person nearby? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yep. Oh, oh, I daily. That was a daily question. Oh my gosh. Like you don't have to look like you could even be remotely related. But I did recently had that question asked. My man, my friends, 
Mm-hmm. uh, saying my, like, saying my recital, my friends, who I went to college with, and, like, I asked the question, are those your siblings? It's like, no. It's like, we don't. <laughs> What? <laughs> We don't look alike. Different, different skin complexions, different yeah. tones, different Sometimes hair. I just want to go, you know, I don't need to know everything you're thinking. It's probably Right. best It's for like, both yeah. of us if I don't. <laughs> this is why we all need to, at some point in our lives, everyone needs to know when to shut up, at least for one point in our life. But it was just, Bring back shame. yeah. It was just so weird. And then, not only that, I felt like when I moved here, there was just like an overall lack of respect from my peers. Like, Especially, and it really became, like, obvious when I got to high school, freshman year, sophomore year, quickly came protesting section leader, uh, IMA council, all of that stuff. And one thing that kind of, like, made me stray from the leadership role in general was just, like, my peers just generally had a lack of respect. Not, not a huge one, but it was very obvious. And at first I was like, I don't understand why, but eventually I was like, honestly, as of right now, and as of like the past three, four years I've been here, I'm the only black person in our music department, uh, instrumental music department. And it's just like, it's because it's the way they talk to me. It's like the little slick little comments that they I guarantee make. It's not you, you funny. are not crazy. No matter, the, and that's the, that is the frustrating thing about it because it's Mm -hmm. always, it's never blatant. They're not going to hard on you. They're not going to, they're, they're not going to be like, go back to your seat, monkey. Like nobody is going to say that, especially not in California, okay? They make side comments when you say things. They roll your eyes when you say something completely regular when they wouldn't do that to anybody else. It's always in the smallest bits and there's a reason they call it microaggressions because It's little stuff. And a lot of people will try to make you feel crazy. Oh my gosh, it's not that big of a deal. Blah, blah, blah. I am not blind. I, you are, you know yourself. If somebody's energy switches up when they talk to you and it is not that way with anybody else, don't ever let anybody make you feel like you're crazy. I'm sorry. I'm not even just trying. Like, I feel like at 28, I have experienced that continually of people trying to make me an angry black woman or I'm being, I'm making a big deal about. You are being disrespectful and I am not tripping. I will not let anybody do that to me anymore. And I know you're 60, but do not let anybody do that to you ever. You are not crazy. Not even once. Uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear Stuff like that always makes me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But let me uh, here's the actual thing. That some people here, they are actually bold enough to say like off the wall stuff. It's like, I'm just trying to think. Uh, like stuff they'd say, they're like, Oh, am I am I invited to the cookout? Like they'll just walk up to me and just like say the most off the wall things. Like, can I get like a hello? Can I get like a Oh, at least a what's up, like something, a normal greeting. Does my skin color have to, you know, make I know exactly a what specific you're talking about. kind And of it's greeting? sometimes other people don't notice it, but it's like, for me, it doesn't happen as often because I think people would hear me ranting about it later and they'd be like, damn, do I do that? And so I think it stopped because like the amount of people who would completely switch up the way they interact with me when they talk to other people. Like, I was like, I just watched you have a normal conversation with that person. Why are you saying girl every two words when you talk to me? Yeah. I'm girl this, girl that. What It's is like, this, all this neck swiveling that you were not doing, doing before? Where's all this coming from? I'm.
I See, like y'all that y'all experienced. I'm currently experiencing. <laughs> the thing is, I grew up in black spaces my whole life until mm -hmm. I got to grad school. So my first year, I wasn't really aware of these like all these different microaggression things that was happening until mm -hmm. like this year. And I'm like, okay, now I get it. Now I understand. This is not normal. This is not mm -hmm. normal things. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the other thing is I think it's really important to let people know. that regardless of it being even if because of where you are it's like a regular occurrence like it happens you know intermittently enough to be considered a regular occurrence that does not make it normal that is weirdo behavior okay like anybody, anybody anybody listening to this that is weirdo behavior don't do that when you Very interact weird. with black people you're weird it's so yeah. weird because why, why are you changing up the way you talk with also like people? in what way do i speak and it, like it's not that i don't code switch or that i don't you know get a little bit when I get heated and stuff, mm -hmm. but like, it's just really wild to me because I don't feel that, and that there's not anything wrong with people who, because of where they grew up, speak whatever way, but it's just like, people are like, you're black. So I'm just going to start speaking to you how I think is hood or yeah. whatever. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm oh. like, I am not Riley Freeman from the boondocks. Why are you right. like this? That's oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You got something to say? When I, uh, when I first got here about Austin, Even now to this day, it's it's kind of weird because it's like, if you know Valdosta State, it's basically a conservatory within the College of the Arts. It, it upholds itself as like a upper echelon, you know, yeah. music mm -hmm. department. It's a lot of things, mm -hmm. but it's like almost as if, you know, I could do a thousand things across here, there, everywhere. And it's almost like, you know, within, and let's say, going to things like doing this, making this festival, doing that, you know. with so much achievement doing things you know building the house correctly as i like to say it's almost like as a black musician no matter what i do no matter what achievement i i accomplish i will never get as much respect as a decent white musician and it's mm -hmm. like it's, it's something you just watch you know you watch oh this person you know me and my friend one of my friends we were recently talking about scholarships and i heard how much he, he got in scholarship and i was like Huh? And I, I I look back to my number. I'm like, okay, that's kind of strange. But you know, we just aren't respected in the spaces. Even though we could be doing everything under the sun for that entity, for that department, for that club, but when it comes down to black and white paper, we just do not get the same respect that our colleagues, who either do the same or less work, and it's just part of the game. Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I feel like after college, I. was like, I want to go to grad school, but not right now because I was a little bit like traumatized by my college experience. And I was like, oh, I need so a break. Hard. It's okay. I'm definitely like a lot better now. And I think that I can look back on what I learned from it with fondness in a lot of ways. And also to like, humbly, my, my senior recital was kind of a showstopper. So I trumped anything that any anything negative that anybody had to say about me or my work ethic uh, with my senior recital. So like there were people in there who were supposed to grade my recital and they had said to me that they thought I would fail. And they sat in a room in a, in a room full of that many people who believed in me when they didn't. That alone is embarrassing, in my opinion, for them. And I've been taught by so many people and I've learned both amazing things from them, the way that I don't want to be. And now that I like teach at a school of rock and I do 
private drum lessons and I'm a show director, which means that I also like, you know, I'm directing a group of teenagers that also play like guitar and bass and they sing and stuff. And so I have to like coach them on like stage presence and all this other stuff and creating a unified sound as a band. And I've learned so much about what I want to be as a teacher and what I do not want to be as a teacher. I have learned I don't have an education degree and that's, there's a reason that I don't teach public school or that I am not like necessarily in front of like a high school band, but I take the fact that I may be the only positive adult in those kids' lives very seriously. Um, and I take the hour or two hours or 45 minutes that I have every week with them to, I say to my mom, something that I say to my mom when I talk about my job at School of Rock is, it is my job to teach them music, but also at the end of the day, if they leave our lesson or they leave our rehearsal and they didn't learn their music perf perfectly, but they learned how to better advocate for themselves or they learned how to be a better person, I still did my job. Mm -hmm. Actually, I, I just want to say, kind of bounce off of that. I feel like ever since ABOP, well, actually before ABOP and honestly now after ABOP, I think, honestly, one thing I can definitely say about myself is that no matter where I am, like, even if my Blackness can't ever be truly respected, I can always, I can literally make my promise, this promise to myself, that I will always make an impression as a musician, no matter what. Uh, even my peers can say that, even the upperclassmen and the underclassmen, they can all say that London does not play around when it comes to music like London is actually genuinely serious about this when we perform they look at me as like I can say they in, as a musician they look at me with respect even though outside of that they might not see me like that they'll think of me as you know whatever the stereotype is or you know have they see me but I can always say that I can make sure people can respect me Indeed. as a musician at the very least and I can always make sure that. That's really good. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you're doing that. Also, we have to wrap it up soon. But mm -hmm. be, uh, as for closing, I, I want to take a moment to share some mental health. Yes. Uh, resources for Black people. So first thing, go to therapy. Yes. <laughs> go to therapy, go yes. To I went yesterday. It was great. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm about to actually schedule my next counseling appointment tomorrow. First thing, your school probably has free counseling that you're paying for. You don't even know it. So take advantage of your tuition funds. <laughs> <laughs> there's a book about self-care. There's plenty of books about self-care. But one in particular I'm reading currently is by uh, Common. I just got it the other day from a Black-owned bookstore. Yay. But mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> I'm reading that. I think as a musician, it's very important for us to take care of ourselves. I mean, I started my self-care journey or started getting serious about it this year and it's been a change in the way I play. And you may think like, oh, I need time to practice. It doesn't take, it takes five minutes to write stuff down in the journal. It takes five minutes to- You also can't pour from an empty cup. Exactly. So <laughs> needless to say, these are just some of the things that I think just, it, just black musicians, especially, we kind of just got gonna have to do to thrive in our mental health. We have so many things on our on our shoulders a lot of times. Not like we we have the musician stuff plus some, you know. 
<laughs> and that gets tiring. That General gets tiring. generational trauma, and then like whatever your own personal trauma. Yeah, is. exactly. Cute. Yeah, do you, wait, do you guys have anything on that? Um, I so she's not like necessarily a qualified mental health professional, but I follow her on Instagram, and she posts like a lot of very helpful like wellness things and things about like grief and just trauma and how to process. She's a black woman. Her name is mm -hmm. Rachel Cargill. Um, mm -hmm. And I just really love her work. And sometimes I feel like I'm scrolling through Instagram and I see something from her and I'm like, I really need to read that right now. Mm. I'm gonna get off the internet and take some deep breaths. Let me go do that. Yeah. And something else that I just want to say in general, as somebody who has had a long and there's been a lot of improvements, but still continuing mental health journey is that sometimes it really does get worse before it gets better, but you are beyond worth it. In that if you have to get through your day by taking it five minutes at a time, that's okay. But you had faith in yourself the second that you chose to get up when you didn't want to. So that's my take. <laughs> yeah, off of that. Another thing, like a little bit I'm thinking as in, in terms of like at home stuff you can do, like there's meditating. I know this is it seems like hippie. Uh, this kind of stuff to do but it's like it helps it really does we evolved out here and meditating doesn't have to involve like one of them little bowl things yeah. you don't want it to it doesn't have to involve levitating and saying ohm you can close yeah. your eyes breathe and concentrate on it and that's meditating so yeah yeah that's it's literally yeah. that it's just like a chance for you to clear your head just think about stuff you can look up meditate there are plenty of meditations on youtube i specifically do one called chakra meditation it literally just goes through like the different chakras in your body, starting from the root chakra and all that different stuff. And it just, it's very calming. There's meditating. And also this other thing that I do like all the time involves journaling. It's called morning pages where you essentially just like, like every morning, it's literally straightforward. You just write down basically all the stuff you're feeling. Really, you're just getting all of, you, all of your like, your like daily feelings and trauma, like on paper and it's just like literally if you can get everything in your brain out on paper it helps mm -hmm. a lot there's that and also another journaling strategy you can ask yourself questions in your journal you can ask yourself questions about your wholeness which is like literally and when i say wholeness i mean like what makes you you like what yeah what makes you feel complete yeah okay yeah whether it be good or bad you can ask questions about intuition, why you trust your intuition, what your intuition is trying to tell you. Like, oh, wow. literally, there's, this is good. I, do, I do this on I'm a daily. I'm learning. But, yeah. I'm... <laughs> yeah, that, I, 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 also, I want to, I want to pinpoint this, please do a little exercise. I mean, like, mm -hmm. just like, even if, if it's like yoga, Mm -hmm. stretch like something to get your body moving because one thing i know for sure is whenever i'm having like high anxiety in my life and i start working out more mm -hmm. it goes away it like literally just goes away so like definitely pay attention to your body physically yeah i've actually i've definitely been trying to get back into working out just for like health and endurance because i also noticed too that i i mean i would say that i have pretty good endurance but i feel like i use less energy over a longer period of time like when I'm playing actually when I exercise more too and I actually used to roller skate a lot and I want to get back into that but I cannot do that if my legs are jelly so <laughs> <laughs>
Any last words? Um, I think that I know everybody's journey is a unique one. Mine has had plenty of peaks and valleys and I right now am partially working a job that I don't like because I want to be a performing musician, but I am a grown woman who needs health insurance, but I am feeling like I'm about to be on a a swell, I guess you could say again. I'm about to be writing a swell uh, of music and percussion again that's coming. And I just would encourage anyone who is listening that uh, your path may not be conventional, but it is yours and you will end up where you're supposed to be. Just keep going after it. It's going to be okay. That's just clicking for me like in the last year. So. <laughs> yeah, um, the journey is your journey. I mean, for me personally, I never thought that I would be graduating from grad school like 10 years ago. And it's amazing to see how much progress I made just within the last year itself. I mean, like, if you've seen how I played when I first got to grad school and how I play now, it's two different, literally two completely different things. So your journey is what you make it. Your journey is yours. Your path is only your path. And don't buy into these, oh, I got to do X amount of hours of practice each day to win a job. No, it's about how you practice. It's about who you're studying with. Because I want to mention this, the school that you go to does not determine what job you're going to get. It's really about who you study with, how you are practicing, how you're using your time, and also just who are you getting mentored by? Like, I feel like everyone should have at least someone outside of their teacher to talk to about things outside of just music. Oh, well, sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, and I would also oh, like to, I, add, just, yeah. I would also just like to add that something else that matters too is who you are and what you put out into the world. It does not matter that you went to Juilliard and were mentored by a principal of a major orchestral organization. If you're insufferable to work with <laughs> mm, or, yeah. If you are constantly tardy and complain about everything, and that is not somebody who people want to work with. And sometimes situations are frustrating. Sometimes people are not always pleasant to work with, but I, something that I have noticed is even if I'm still moving toward what I'm wanting, where I want to be, is that something that people consistently tell me is that they think of me as genuine and a nice person to work and play with. And that is like, that is something that will get you called back sooner than playing every note perfectly. You should still try strive to play every note perfectly, but like if you get one note wrong, but you're really awesome to work with and you're punctual versus somebody who got every single note and every single dynamic right and articulation right, and they are a jerk. Nobody wants to work with big fat jerks. Yeah. I mean, I don't personally. Any last words to Caitlin? I would say that it is mainly what I learned this year, especially is that you don't have to be that person of everything is perfect. Every, you know, you don't have to, you know, have a little haircut. You don't have to, you know, cause that was, that's what I was fighting when I first got to college was I want to be, I want to have like a really, I just want to be known for being professional, this, that, and the third, I, which is you should strive to be, be professional. But as far as like, it took me forever to do something as simple as get my nose pierced that I wanted for like so long and just be the person who I wanted to be because of where I was. Be yourself. <laughs> yes, yes.
Yeah, I, I agree with y'all with all y'all. Just learn to value yourself at the end of the day, no matter what you're doing. And just like take like literally take care of yourself. Always make sure to take care of yourself. Cause honestly, this last couple months when I was doing um the Idlewild audition material and I did not have that much time to do them and you know, prep them and make them look I mean, I did them honestly very well. I'm very proud of myself for doing that. But the fact I did not have that much time, I was constantly stressing about it every day. I'm still stressing about all the stuff that's coming up. I'm stressing about stuff that's going to happen a year or two from now. And honestly, personally, that's kind of my fault because I'm not really that organized of a person. But, you know, just still you always make sure you don't have to obsess about Okay, when, when it comes to your future, I guess really you don't have to obsess too much about it to the point where you're just going to like kill yourself over it. It's just like you can, really can just take it one step at a time. It's just pace yourself. Just make sure you don't like the term. Uh, what's the phrase? Like people who like die for their art. It's like I get it, but it's like you don't have to kill yourself over it. Like literally, it's just like take it one step at a time. Take care of yourself. And if you know this is something you really want to do, you will be great. You will be amazing at it if you just put in the work every day and not stress about it. So, yeah. It's a marathon and not a race. And I, I specifically wanted to uh, say that for my people that's currently in grad school and about to finish and probably don't have anything of current lined up. Whatever happens for you is for you. I mean, I'm doing all these auditions currently. I'm like, oh, all these auditions. It sucks. But whatever happens, it was already destined for you. So it's definitely not a race. It's a marathon. And I'll leave on that. That concludes this episode with special guests Andrea Stein and ABOP's protégés, London Johnson, Jacqueline Bryant, and the host Torrance Bunton Jr. As you can imagine, ABOP is extremely proud of our protégés. It is wonderful to hear them grow and express themselves musically as well as with words. I assure you there is more to come. Please follow our podcast and check us out on our website at www.abop.us. We greatly appreciate your support. We are the Alliance of Black Orchestral Percussionists, ABOP. Thank you for listening. <laughs>